If you are new with us today, we are taking all of summer to study one biblical book, the biblical book of 1 John. If you are new or if you don't have a Bible that you can read, even that you can write and take notes in, we've got you. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to pick one up either at our Connect table or over at our prayer station absolutely anytime you can. That's all right. This isn't a library. Take that with you. Make notes in that Bible because we are studying. We are studying 1 John. We think it is very, very valuable to study God's Word because we hold the Word of the Creator of the universe in very, very high regard. This is our fifth week of studying 1 John. We're already into chapter 2. And as I've been reflecting on what John has to say to us, I'm realizing that the Apostle John is very, very blunt. Do you get that sense if you've been studying along? I mean, this is not like on the surface. This is not a kind and gentle letter. John is blunt. He is just hitting us right in the face. I think upon reflection that John is just telling his readers what they need to hear. John is telling his readers what they need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. Have you been so blessed in your life to have somebody who loves you or cares about you so much that they were bold enough to tell you what you needed to hear? I hope you have a loved one who loves you well enough to do that. I know I've been appreciative of that in my own life. I've shared this with you before. But when I was in my early 20s, I was kind of a mess of a human being. I, I had no direction in my life. Now, here's the deal. I went to church every Sunday, but I was absolutely not living a godly lifestyle. I was doing things. I was into things that I ought not to have been in. To tell you the real truth, I didn't get a whole lot of second dates when I was in my early 20s because I was just that much of a mess, at least not with godly women. And so I, I was at a local establishment uh, with, with a friend of mine a little bit further down the road. I don't know if you know Bud Murphy's in Connellsville, but I was hanging out there, a couple, couple chuckles, a couple you know Bud Murphy's in Connellsville. I was hanging out there with my friend in my early 20s, and, and, and I was just commiserating with her, and I... I was just saying, man, like, I, I don't know where I'm going in life. I don't have any direction. Like, what is wrong with me? I, I can't seem to get anything right. And I was just looking for my friend to just nod and smile and agree with me. But uh, that's not what my friend did. She looked me right in the eye and said, do you know why your life is such a mess right now? It's because you are a mess. You have got to get your life together. She was a Christian, by the way. She said, I, I know you're a part of a church. I know you're a part of a church family, but you don't act like it. You're not living that lifestyle. You've got to get your act together. My friend essentially slapped me in the face. Oh my goodness. That's not what I wanted to hear at the time. But it's what I needed to hear. And I wonder if anybody else has had that experience where a loved one has told you what you needed to hear. When I read 1 John, I get flashbacks to that moment in my life. I feel like John is slapping us in the face a little bit. John is punching us in the gut. 
1 John is a wake-up call for people who need a wake-up call. 1 John is a wake-up call for people who need a wake-up call. Now, let's be very careful here. Who needs the wake-up call? Who is it who needs the wake-up call? Do you know or do you get a sense of who John is writing to here in 1 John? He is writing to Christians. He is, writing, he is not writing to the rest of the world. And what we have got to understand today in 2022, that what we read in John, if you are a Christian today, John's not writing to your neighbor. John's not writing to somebody else. John is writing to you. And John is writing to me. So here's the deal today. If you are not yet a Christian and you are here with us, thank you so much for being here today. I hope you see Jesus Christ in us if you are a Christian or you claim to be a Christian. Would you open your hearts? Would you open your minds to what God has to tell you today because God has something to tell you today? And we're going to jump right into it. We're going to get right into it. We're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. If you are following along in your Bible, I pray that you are. We're going to jump right into the frying pan. Here's what John writes in verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. And I, and I know there's going to be some people along the trail right now, and they're going to hear terminology like the antichrist and like the last hour, and they're going to say, oh boy, they're one of those. Hey, listen, we believe in that stuff. If you're a Christian today, we believe in things like the Antichrist, and like the last days and the final hour, we believe in angels, we believe in demons. Here's the caution with a verse like this, and it's very practical. C.S. Lewis talked about a verse like this in the preface, in the, in the preface to the Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis wrote about demons like this. C.S. Lewis said, There are two equal and opposite errors when it comes to demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and healthy interest in them. What that means for a verse like this is we don't want to go overboard. We don't want to obsess over concepts like Antichrist or the final days. We don't want to obsess over it, but we want to take it very, very seriously. So let's dive into these two topics very quickly. First, the last hour. For 2,000 years since Jesus arrived, people have been wondering, are we living in the last hour? Are these the end times? There's a very black and white answer to that. Are we living in the end times? Yes, we are. Yet there's, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's not weird. We are de facto living in the end times. One of the reasons Jesus came was to introduce the fact that we are now living in the end times. 
If you take a look at all of Scripture, all of the Bible, it is a timeline of existence, right? And if you look at the timeline of existence that the Bible describes, you could break up the Bible into acts, just like a play or a musical is divided into acts. Act 1 was the creation. Act 2 was the fall of human beings. Act 3 was the time of Israel, when God wanted to use an entire people group to introduce himself to the world. Act 4 was the act of Jesus Christ, when God became incarnate, not only to save us from our sins, but to introduce the final act, which is the one we are living in right now, and that is the era of the church. And it's the final act. Right now, we are living in the era of the capital C church. It's the final act. This act has been going on for 2,000 years, and it will culminate in the events of Revelation. So friends, are we living in the final act? Are we living in the last hour? The answer to that question is yes. Do we know when Jesus will return and when the events of Revelation will start playing out? No. We don't know. There is no human being that knows. There is only one who knows. So let's not overindulge this verse, but let's take it very, very seriously. When John says we are living in the last hour, he is saying we are living in the time when God is working in and through us, the church. Before Christ's return. And so if you are taking notes in your Bible, consider underlining or circling this phrase last hour and write in the margin, age of the church. Because that's where we are. How about the term antichrist? Do you want to go into that? I think we should. I think we should. Let's demystify this concept of the antichrist. And even saying the Antichrist is a misnomer. Because as John very clearly states, even here in verse 18, there is not one Antichrist. There are many Antichrists. There are many Antichrists. And the term Antichrist only appears four times in all of Scripture. Three times it appears here in 1 John once it appears in 2 John, never in Revelation, by the way. And always it appears in the plural sense. And so to demystify this concept of the Antichrist or Antichrists, an Antichrist is anybody who is against Jesus. An Antichrist is anybody who's against the cause of Christ. Let's jump to verse 22. Really quickly, John writes, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, is the Savior. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. There are a lot of people in our world today who are against the cause of Christ. They are anti-Christos. They are anti-Christ. They are not capital E evil people. They are not Satan incarnate. 
but they are against the cause of Christ. And people who were anti-Christ back in John's day were a huge problem for the church and a huge problem for John because the anti-Christs within the church were threatening to divide the church. Let's go back to verse 19. If you have it in front of you, read it. Those who are against Christ, they went out from us. They went out from the church. But they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. 2,000 years ago, there were people that were against the cause of Christ who were within the church body. And if you agree with me that John sounds very blunt in his language, John is desperate. John is desperate because the church at this time was brand new. He is writing in the latter half of the first century, the Christian movement, the Jesus movement is brand new at this point. And it's already in danger of being torn apart from within by people who weren't really believers in Jesus Christ. Jump to verse 26, would you? John says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. I am writing to tell you and to warn you and to love you enough to slap you in the face and say that there are people that are trying to lead you astray. If you are a Christian today, have you ever struggled with being led astray? I bet you have. I bet you have. In fact, I won't be bold enough to say I hope you have. I hope you are leading your Christian walk in such a way that Satan hates what you are doing. And if Satan hates what you are doing, he will darn sure try to lead you astray. In fact, if you're bold enough right now, you can underline or circle this phrase, led astray. Let's be really bold right now. Right in your Bible, you can either do this right now or take it home with you this afternoon. Write the things in the margin of your Bible that you are in danger of being led astray by. Right now, it's helpful to name all the temptations that you have in your life. It's helpful to name it. It's helpful to look the enemy right in the face and say, I know what you're tempting me with. And you are fully at liberty to write those things in the margin of your Bible where you will see it every single day. You are here for a reason. If this is your first time with us today, something drew you to this place. If you walked off the trail, if you came to us from the laundromat today just to check out what this whole outside deal is, something drew you here, I will be so bold as to say that thing was the Holy Spirit. You are here for a reason. Something attracted you to God for a reason. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life or whether this is your first time looking at God's word and cracking open the Bible. But there is also something else pulling you away. There is something today or maybe many things. Maybe there is someone pulling you away from God. 
there are so many people that are hostile to the way of life that God is calling you to lead. And we all at some point, please believe me, if you, if you are being led astray today, if you have doubts today, we all have doubts. We all go through that. We're human beings. If you ever have that thought running through your mind, like, oh my gosh, maybe it's not all real. Maybe, maybe that stuff with Jesus really didn't happen. Maybe I, I don't have to live the lifestyle that God is calling me to lead. If you ever have those doubts, we have all had those doubts. John has something to say to you. And it's in verses 20 through 27. And I want to kind of combine this thought for you right now. I want us to read verse 20, 24, and verse 27. I'm going to put it all together right now. If you doubt right now, you have an anointing from the Holy One. If, 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 you, if you look at the news and you're confused about what is going on in the world today and you don't know if truth is relative or not, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does you also will remain in the Son and the Father. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as for His anointing teaches you all about the things, as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. And so in those moments of doubt in your life, when someone or something tries to pull you away from God or try to deceive you, John is recommending that you remember two things. What you have heard from the beginning and the anointing you received. I want to talk very quickly about both of these things. First, remember the word that you heard from the beginning. Remember what you heard from the beginning. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but somebody needs to hear it. There is somebody here today that is truly struggling. I, I know there's somebody here today that once believed, but now is not so sure. There's somebody here today going through a slump. There's somebody here today who was once passionate about their faith, but someone or something has dulled that passion. Here's what John wants to tell you today. Don't forget what you have heard from the beginning. Because at some point you knew this was true. At some point in your life you were passionate about the fact that Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb to show you that you can too. It's all real. It's all true. And whatever you are going through in your life doesn't make this any less true. Please remember the word that you have heard from the beginning. The second thing John wants to remind you of is the anointing that you have. This word anointing appears four times in these seven verses. Four times. And I, I, hope it, I hope if you've been with us, you've understood that if something is repeated over and over again in a short span of time in the Bible, it's probably important. And so this word anointing or this concept of anointing 
is very, very important. If you're taking notes, would you circle the words anointing? Every instance that you find in your Bible in front of you and write the word Holy Spirit in the margin. Because the moment, the moment you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you receive the gift of God's Spirit within you. The Gospel of John chapter 20, Jesus says this, Peace be with you as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you have accepted Jesus' salvation, you have got to believe that you have also accepted the gift of the Holy Spirit within you. God's Spirit lives in you. God's Spirit doesn't reside in a building, doesn't reside on a mountaintop. God's Spirit is not in some unreachable special place. God's Spirit does dwell in a special place. In fact, God's Spirit does dwell in a temple. Do you know the temple that God's Spirit dwells in? Do you know where that temple is? Where is that temple? You are the temple. You are the temple that God's Spirit resides in. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Don't forget that spirit. If you are struggling today with doubt or confusion, if you look at our world and say our world is completely a mess, do not forget that you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of John chapter 16 says this, But when He, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. This weekend we're celebrating freedom. If you know scripture, what do you know about the truth? The truth will do what? The truth will set you free. That's the freedom we need to be celebrating we need to be thanking God for that kind of freedom on this 4th of July weekend. In the first century, in the 2,000 years ago, when John was writing, the early Christians were having trouble discerning between truth and lies. 2,000 years later, the church is having a great deal of trouble discerning between truth and lies. Do you want to be a Christian today? Are you attracted to Jesus, but you're just not quite sure? Are you struggling with faith right now? Well, there's one more word that is repeated over and over again in the last seven verses that we just read. If you have your Bible in front of us, have you seen what word is repeated over and over again. It's the word remain. It's the word remain. If you have a different version of the Bible, perhaps your version says abide. 
this concept of remaining, this concept of abiding is having a deep, unbreakable relationship. My friends, who are we called to have a deep, unbreakable relationship with? Jesus. Jesus. The Gospel of John chapter 15, Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Christians, today we need a wake-up call. We need a wake-up call. If you are struggling with your faith today, what makes the Bible different from the opinion of anybody else on this planet? What makes it different? I mean, isn't just, I mean, isn't this somebody's opinion? Or not one person, dozens and dozens of different authors over the span of centuries writing through 66 different books. But, I mean, it's just people's opinion, right? If truth is relative, if my truth is the same as your truth, what makes that an authority? And not the opinion of your friend or your neighbor or the news media or political parties. What makes that true? What makes that true goes against not just our culture, but every human culture that has ever existed. Because every culture that has ever existed thinks that truth is a concept. But truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. John 14, 6. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you look at the news today and you get scared or angry, or upset. If you read the, the, the same article I did yesterday, I think it was on Yahoo News, nation divided over Supreme Court ruling. Did anybody else read that article? Nation divided. I had no idea our nation was divided before I read that on Yahoo News yesterday. When you look at things like that, do you, do you question whether truth is relative or not? Do you get confused? Do you even get scared? I didn't know if I was going to share this with you or not, but I think I will. Quite a few people over the last two weeks have, have asked me, hey, why didn't we talk about the Supreme Court decision? Don't you have an opinion, Pastor John, about the Supreme Court decision? And frankly, I have a very strong opinion on the Supreme Court decision, and I'm very happy to share that with you if you want. But here's the deal. As your pastor, I do not want to tell you what to think. I would much rather show you how to think. And if you have a desire to know the capital T truth, if you have a desire to know how to think, if you want to see the world through a worldview, that is objective truth. There is only one way to obtain 
that worldview. And that is to know God's word and do what it says. You will not gain that perspective by going to church once a week. You will not gain that perspective through a sermon once a week or even listening to a podcast once a week. You will only gain a biblical worldview by studying God's word every day, by praying to the God of the universe every day. And I pray that for you. If you are new to our faith, maybe you're not a Christian today, I, I just invite you to explore this for yourself. Explore the validity, explore the historicity if you are a Christian and if you claim to be a Christian. You are obligated joyfully to look at the world through a biblical lens. And I pray what John writes to us in the book of 1 John is a wake-up call for us. Maybe it's even a slap in the face. Maybe it's a punch in the gut for a people who need a wake-up call. Let's pray.